Good wintry Thursday. This is Ozarks at Large for January 20th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. You can take our show with you when you subscribe to our podcast through any major podcast distributor. On our show today, a third consecutive spring semester brings questions and concerns about dealing with a pandemic on campus. You want as much fresh air and as much air movement as you can get in that space. The building's ventilation systems were maximized to bring in as much fresh air, outside air, as possible. Continue ventilation continuously. Don't let it stop. We'll have reporting from Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore and Daniel Carruth ahead. In our second half hour, Courtney Lanning says a quiet month at the box office has left room for a new animated film worth our attention. The current surge of COVID-19 cases in Arkansas isn't abating yet. The Arkansas Department of Health is reporting nearly 15,000 new cases in the last 24 hours of testing with 10 more deaths from the virus. The new case count represents the highest yet during the pandemic. Hospitalizations are now at the highest at any, ter- at any time during the pandemic, 1,600 after a net increase of 113 patients in the last 24 hours. Active cases also grew dramatically by more than 6,400 to more than 95,000. Northwest Arkansas hospitals are now caring for 159 virus patients. That's an uptick of four people since this time yesterday. The all-time high for hospitals in Benton and Washington counties combined is 179. The two counties yesterday reported a combined total of 2,342 new cases. The Scott Family Amazium and the Northwest Arkansas Council are partners in a pair of vaccine clinics that will take place later this month. The Amazium in Bentonville will host a clinic for anybody age 5 and older Wednesday from 4.30 to 7.30, and then again on Saturday, January 29th from 9 until noon. Republican gubernatorial candidate Sarah Huckabee Sanders continues to raise millions toward her quest to get elected. Her campaign reports raising $1.6 million in the fourth quarter, bringing the overall fundraising total to $12.8 million. That sum includes $4.4 million raised inside Arkansas. The campaign says more than 11,000 Arkansans have contributed to that total. Sanders counts more than $7 million on hand as the election year begins. The ballot is now set for the February 8th special election for the state Senate District 7 seat. Republican candidate Colby Fulfer will appear first on the ballot, followed by Democrat Lisa Parks. That order finalized yesterday by a random draw. The group Advocates for Highway and Auto Safety is releasing a report grading each state on the passage of certain traffic laws to optimize safety on the roads. Arkansas was ranked as yellow, meaning improvements are needed to state laws. The criteria includes calling for states to require front and rear seat belt laws or to have seven or more laws passed without both seat belt enforcement laws. The president of the group, Kathy Chase, said during a press conference that the pandemic has led to troubling behaviors by drivers. The ripple effects of the COVID-19 pandemic include increases in dangerous driving and passenger behaviors, such as speeding and impaired driving, as well as fewer people buckling up. More than 20,000 people died in crashes during the first six months of 2021, an 18% increase over the same period the previous year. Arkansas has adopted nine of the 16 laws the group advocates for. Tara Gill, Senior Director of Advocacy and State Legislation for the group, says passing the additional laws would lead to safer driving conditions. Looking at the laws that Arkansas is missing, you know, there are opportunities to improve occupant protection by adding a primary enforcement rear seat belt requirement and an all-rider motorcycle helmet law. 
to improve child passenger safety by improving the, the booster seat law requirement and adding a rear-facing through age two safety seat requirement. And then there are three opportunities to improve teen driver safety. She encourages the Arkansas legislature to consider such laws in future sessions. Temple Live in Fort Smith is postponing the upcoming performance by Cadillac 3. The venue announced yesterday the concert is being postponed due to unforeseen circumstances, and a new date will be shared soon. Temple Live says all tickets will be honored and refunds will be made available at point of purchase. This is Ozarks at Large. Yesterday afternoon, a panel of seven administrators and experts from the University of Arkansas led a town hall-style meeting to address COVID-19, the Omicron variant, and the impact the virus will have on the spring semester on campus. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore reports. About 50 people gathered in person with an additional 500 online to hear from the university leadership the status of life on campus in the midst of a pandemic. Interim Chancellor Charles Robinson says that as long as classrooms are safe and students continue to mask, that face-to-face instruction is the course of action the university will be taking. So if those two things, safe classrooms and students masking up, are the two main criteria, how do we know that those two things are being considered seriously? Let's start with safe classrooms. Here's Richard Ashworth, the Director of Environmental Health and Safety for the university. From a ventilation perspective, the thing that you want are two things. You want as much fresh air and as much air movement as you can get in that space. The building's ventilation systems were maximized to bring in as much fresh air, outside air, as possible. Continue ventilation continuously. Don't let it stop and then to also upgrade all filters to the highest effectiveness uh, that they can that those systems will allow. The second factor is masking. It's worth noting that during the fall semester, the Arkansas legislature had passed a law making it illegal for schools to enforce mask mandates, known as Act 1002. The law has since been struck down as unconstitutional, but Warren Coleman, president of the Associated Student Government, says he and other student leaders on campus have consistently supported students wearing masks. And so that's why last fall we advocated to put in the mask mandate and to sign on to the letter whenever it wasn't legal to the governor to allow us to have a mask mandate. That was something I was happy to sign on to. And now as we have an uptick of obviously the Omicron variant, I want to be sure that masking is really something that every single student is doing in the classroom and in all indoor spaces. The mask policy doesn't just end there on campus. There's also a plan to implement enforcement. Here's Matt Mills, the head of emergency management for the university. The enforcement aspect is going to be exactly as it has been in the past, and it's going to be through university student conduct and through HR. You can report those cases at report.uark.edu. Anyone on campus can visit the website and report COVID-19 concerns regarding students as well as employees. 
One of the most critical ways to ensure that the virus is under control on campus is testing. Dr. Huda Sharaf is the medical director for the Pat Walker Health Center, and she says whether it's a rapid test or a more sensitive PCR test. If it is positive, it is positive. That means that you need to isolate. Sharaf says if you do test positive, your day one of isolation starts the day after your swab, not the day after you receive your results. This is especially important if you took a PCR test where it can take up to three or four days to get results. There will be two different ways for folks on campus to get a COVID-19 test right now. One of those is through the university specifically. Dr. Sharaf again. As far as Pet Walker Health Center goes, boy, it's always a balance. We're still running our uh, drive-up PCR testing in our back parking lot. Uh, We have a couple of tents up, and uh, we're able to accommodate dozens of tests. Again, the issue that we have is staffing. Um, You know, in order to do all of this, in order to test, in order to take care of patients, in order to answer phone calls, um, in order to vaccinate, you need medical personnel. The other option is being conducted in the Union Mall by a third-party vendor called Crossroads Telemedicine. It's a walk-up clinic. Um, It's really for the university community at large, so university ID and an insurance card is required. They say they do have the capacity to do hundreds of tests each day. I know that yesterday, um, Captain Mills got, I think, a report that they completed about 130 tests yesterday. For the first day of school, I don't think that's too bad. So that will be ongoing through February the 18th. Because the walk-up clinic is being done by a third party and not by the university, those test results are not directly reported to the university. Matt Mills, again of emergency management, stresses the importance of self-reporting all off-site positive tests to the university, whether you're a student or faculty or staff. That allows us to see what we actually are experiencing on our campus. The only active cases that we count are those who have been on campus. So that self-reporting mechanism is vitally important if you're tested off campus or through a third party like that is running at the Union Mall right now. We, we have to have those reports filled out and submitted. Dr. Sharaf also emphasized the importance of vaccination. I know I speak for the majority of us when I say that I wish we could have all been more proactive, right? If we could have had more and more people vaccinated, we wouldn't have this ongoing transmission and we wouldn't have all these variants. As a result, she points out, we're seeing healthcare worker burnout and exhaustion. My heart always goes out to the emergency room, physicians and nurses. We're all tired. I mean, we're all COVID tired, but you know, the virus is not tired. The virus wants to survive. You can find links on where to self-report, as well as other critical details from this story, at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. The Northwest Arkansas Council is teaming up with Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield to host vaccine clinics tomorrow and beyond. The first is tomorrow afternoon from 1 to 4, and will be at the Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield Northwest Arkansas Corporate Headquarters at 5288 West Don Tyson Parkway in Springdale. Walk-ups will be welcome. Another vaccine opportunity takes place at the same location a week from tomorrow, again from 1 to 4. 
And there is another clinic tomorrow, this one at the J.B. Hunt headquarters in Lowell. That's from 8 until 4. And while registration is encouraged for that clinic, it is not required. Additional information about each of these clinics can be found at nwacouncil.org slash nwavaccines. The University of Arkansas is hosting a free COVID-19 testing clinic on campus for the first five weeks of the spring semester. PCR tests are available in tents on the Union Mall for university students, faculty, and staff weekdays from 8 until 4 through February 18th. John Thomas, manager of university communications, says the mass clinic is a way for the U of A to track and hopefully curb the COVID-19 spread. It's all walk-ups. There's no appointments that are necessary. Um, but there is where you can get a PCR test for COVID-19. And uh, the reason we decided to do this is because we know the Omicron variant is, is so widespread right now in our area. The biggest helps in, in knowing how to, to slow the spread of this is to, to know where the virus is. And, and to do that, you need testing. And we think that that's going to be really helpful for, for any of our students or faculty that we just like to know where their health status is. Thomas says those who are symptomatic can make an appointment for a rapid test at the Pat Walker Health Center. And he says students are encouraged to self-report any positive test. The ADH is not going to be doing contact tracing anymore for adults over the age of 18. The best ways that we can get an idea of where the virus is spreading on our campus is through self-reports so we can have a more accurate picture as to how many active cases we have at one time. And that self-report form is really important because if you get tested off campus, um, we don't know that you were one tested and two, if you tested positive or not. So we're encouraging everyone that does test positive or does get tested uh, elsewhere in our area at a hospital, at a doctor's office, and they do test positive to go onto our website and fill out that self-report form. He says 27,000 students are estimated to be on campus this semester. That's down slightly from 2021, which saw a record high of just over 29,000. And he says tracking testing and vaccinations for that population has been difficult. We've got about 82.5% of our student population from Arkansas that has had at least one dose. And then 68% of them are also fully vaccinated with so many having received a booster shot as well. We don't know, um, you know, if we have students that receive those vaccines in Texas or in other states, we don't have that information. But what we were able to get was for students that are from Arkansas and receive their vaccine in Arkansas. So um, that's also the largest percentage of our student population is from the state of Arkansas. So knowing that 82% of them have already had one shot and then 68% of them are fully vaxxed is really encouraging too. The testing clinic requires a University of Arkansas ID. No out-of-pocket costs will be charged for those with a medical insurance card. Those without medical insurance must provide a Social Security number for a free test. Those without a Social Security number will be charged $100. The university's positive test reporting page can be found online at health.uark.edu. Tomorrow, the Benville Film Foundation and Film Fatales will host a discussion with the creators of the movie Framing Agnes. It's a movie about a young trans woman named Agnes who entered a late 1950s study at UCLA to get the gender-affirming care she needed by any means necessary. Her story was long considered to be exceptional until never-before-seen case files of other patients were found in 2017. Framing Agnes uses reenactment and storytelling to tell the story of previously unknown people 
who redefined gender in the mid-century. The 60-minute virtual discussion is tomorrow afternoon beginning at 4. You can reserve tickets at goelevant.com. That's goelevant.com. And you can find out more about other events connected to the Bentonville Film Foundation at bentonvillefilm.org. And then Wednesday, February 2nd, the Black Action Collective will host a virtual racial healing community discussion from 6.30 until 8 p.m. The discussion is titled Reflecting on a Moment in History, a conversation on racial injustice and the murder of Emmett Till. Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. will discuss his visit to Mississippi with his cousin Emmett Till. He recalls the incident at Bryant's store and the night that Till was kidnapped and Till's funeral in Chicago. He remembers how the murder and publicity affected his family, the reopening of the case in 2004, and efforts to memorialize Till. Wheeler Parker was born in 1939 in Schlater, Mississippi. He grew up in Chicago and married Marvel McCain in 1967. Later working as a barber, photographer, and pastor, at 16, he traveled from Chicago to Mississippi with his cousin Emmett Till and witnessed his kidnapping. That virtual discussion is the beginning of a month of events sponsored by the Black Action Committee. You can find out much more at BAC. NWA.org. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Fayetteville Public Television offers classes in project planning and video production, plus accessibility to equipment and broadcast channels to share videos with a viewing audience, serving all residents of Washington and Benton County. Fayetteville Public Television can help people turn video ideas into reality. FAYpublic.tv for more information. Ahead on Ozarks at Large, Courtney Lanning says a new movie about music, teens, a robot, and, well, more than that, is a winter gym that will be in area theaters for just a short amount of time on specific days. An animated treat for these non blockbuster times in about 12 minutes on today's show. Time for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. I'm Paul Gatling. We've got the latest issue of the magazine out this week, featuring a cover story on Itzel Meder, who is the SBA Lending Director at First Security Bank, which has a sizable market share in northwest Arkansas. It was the largest bank in the state without a dedicated SBA loan division. Meder's hiring nine months ago changed that. Also in the new issue, speaking of SBA lending, you can check out our annual list of the largest SBA lenders in the region. We've also got reporting on a new chief operating officer at Highlands Oncology Group in Springdale. A big milestone reached this month in northwest Arkansas for global micro-lending nonprofit Kiva. And Mark Zweig examines some common misconceptions about entrepreneurship. You can find all of those stories in the latest issue of the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal. And you can find the digital version online at nwabusinessjournal.com. We've got more news after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com 
First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security, member FDIC, equal housing lender. As part of our State of the State series, three executives sat down recently via Zoom with Talk Business and Politics Editor-in-Chief Roby Brock to discuss business, politics, and policy. Arkansas Trucking Association President Shannon Newton, National Federation of Independent Businesses State Director Sylvester Smith, and Arkansas Center for Health Improvement CEO Dr. Joe Thompson shared their perspectives on the year ahead. All right, Joe Thompson, I am coming to you first uh, as you are at the center of the swirling uh, disaster going on in Arkansas. As we tape, uh, the coronavirus is raging in Arkansas. We've got some of our highest daily counts that we've ever had uh, from the Omicron uh, variant. At the same time, it does not seem to be making people as sick. Kind of assess the situation of where we are and what you see happening just in the short term, the next uh, two weeks to four weeks. Well, Roby, I think we're in the middle of an uncontrolled spread from a variant of this virus, COVID-19. The COVID-19 virus has the ability to mutate, and it can mutate, and one of three bad things can happen. It can become more infectious, it can become more deadly, or it could, out, it could come out from under the protection that our vaccinations offer. The Omicron does a little bit of two of those. One, it is very much more infectious. Uh, one infected person now may be infecting as many as 15 more each day. So this is part why we're seeing the dramatic spread. It does appear to be a little less deadly, but if you have more people with it, you're going to have potentially more hospitalizations and more death. And it does require that you have the booster shot to actually get the benefit of the vaccine. So we only have about 30% of our Kansans that have had the full first round and the booster shot. So a strong recommendation for everyone to go out and get the booster shot so that you're protected. Let me ask you this. This probably gets into more medical theory, but I mean, there's obviously enough uh, evidence to support or not support this. Do we, do, how do we get to the point of, um, of, of herd immunity, which is where we're, we've been trying to get with this through the vaccine process. Can people getting sick from Omicron, but not, um, it not affecting everybody as um, as deadly as it did. Can it help us get to where we eventually need to go with herd immunity? If there is a positive, you know, approach to this, it is that the spread of Omicron being so wide is that it's going to expose individuals to COVID-19. Their immune systems will become aware of what COVID-19 is and that we will get to herd immunity more quickly. Unfortunately, individuals that either have comorbid conditions or whose immune system doesn't react may have bad outcomes, and these will be the, the family members and members of our community that we may lose more of. So it's a mixed blessing uh, of having widespread infections. And of course, the wild card is always, does it mutate into a new version of the virus that our immune systems do not recognize? Yeah, we'll watch for that. Obviously, we will not have that answer today. Shannon, I come to you next. Um, again, staying in this public health emergency that we've been in for the better part of two years, kind of give some folks a little bit of background of how it has impacted the trucking and the transportation industry. Uh, and is it responsible for some of the non-public health uh, problems we see within the, the industry and the supply chain today? Well, I think... Um 
from the trucking industry's perspective, as it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic that we've all experienced over the last 18 months, um, the industry has actually had the opportunity to continue to do what it has always done, uh, which is deliver goods to people, you know, wherever they are. Um, it has been increasingly um, challenging. Uh, we've also, of course, we have labor issues. Um, but initially, if you think back, um, there were times at which we we weren't sure how we were going to cross um, state lines or where the drivers were going to be able to use facilities. And so those types of challenges, just from a, those are, that are unique to our industry, um, were certainly ones that um, had a very hampering impact initially and contributed to some of the supply chain issues and supply chain concern that we um, that everyone was more familiar with throughout 2021. You know, I'm not sure if the industry is living right or not, but in the midst of all of that, you, you had one of the most major thoroughfares from the east-west uh, corridor uh, kind of get shut down for several months with the Memphis Bridge there. That that kind of compounded some problems for you, didn't it? So uh, Certainly at a regional level, uh, that was a, a major story of the last year, having that um, as you mentioned, a major corridor for interstate freight being shut down for approximately three months um, had a, a significant impact on um, freight flow across the country, but particularly those companies that were in Arkansas and those that relied on the bridge in some cases more than once a day, um, the impact there was particularly painful. Sylvester, you represent a lot of different business interests, but I want to particularly focus on small businesses. Uh, your representation of the National Federation of Independent Businesses has you um, really plugged in with what's happening in Main Street, America, Main Street, Arkansas, what's happening in, in smaller towns as well as uh, cities in the state. Um, it, it's just been it's been devastating for small business owners, not only from the perspective of its impacted sales and revenue, but it has also impacted workforce. Speak to um, our listeners, readers and watchers a little bit as to what you have kind of seen and what you've been struggling with, what your members have been struggling with. Well, well, thank you, Roby. And I think as we all know, small business owners, we are optimists. Uh, and NFIB has a tool that we use to track that optimism. It's called the Small Business Optimism Index. And right now, Roby, two years into this pandemic, our members are feeling better than they have in the last year and a half. Our optimism index is at about 98%. But some of the things that we see that are concerning trends, uh, there's one question we ask about a business owner's expectation that the next year will be better than the last. And that indicator is the lowest it's been uh, since 2012. And that's just a portion of our recent State of the State Executive Panel discussion with Dr. Joe Thompson, Shannon Newton, and Sylvester Smith. You can watch the full conversation online at talkbusiness.net. In other news this week, Missouri-based Sterling Bank broke ground recently for a banking center in Rogers, just north of a loft hotel near Interstate 49. The company is also building a branch in Fayetteville that should open later this spring and also has land secured on Walton Boulevard for a third location in Bentonville. Sterling Bank has nearly $1.4 billion in assets. Bentonville firm CEI Engineering Associates has donated $100,000 to the University of Arkansas to support the new Grady Harville Civil Engineering Research and Education Center. The $14 million facilities student conference room will now bear CEI's name, and the National Retail Federation has elected Walmart U.S. CEO John Ferner board chairman. The board is the governing body for the world's largest retail trade association, 
Ferner's appointment is for two years. You can find those stories and more at nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large for January 20th, 22. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for being with us. Wind chills are in the zero to not enough above zero range today and tonight throughout our area. So for a few minutes, let's think spring break. There are several spring break camps accepting reservations now, including a week of activities in Bentonville, coordinated through the Peel Compton Foundation, with events at Kohler Mountain Bike Preserve, the Quiver Archery Range, Osage Park, and Peel Museum and Botanical Garden. The programming includes a week-long camp at Kohler Mountain Bike Preserve, where spring breakers will build on skills that include biking, wellness, art, leave-no-trace principles, and map reading. There will be day camps at the Quiver Archery Range for teenagers 12 to 17 who would like to try their hand at archery. Free wetland tours daily at Osage Park where families can explore a unique wetland ecosystem and learn about the animals that call home. And there will be day camps at Peel Museum and Botanical Garden all about life in the 1800s with make and take activities, yard games, and garden exploration. The events will begin March 21st. You can find out more by following links at Peel. Compton.org. The U.S. Marshals Museum in Fort Smith will spend three days of spring break, March 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, inviting children to play 19th century parlor games, table games, and outdoor games, plus that not-so-19th century experience of pizza for lunch. Tickets available beginning February 7th at stubs.net. And Arkansas PBS is inviting youths age 11 to 16 to apply for a Say My Piece, a week-long slam poetry camp that will be held March 22nd through 25th, 8.30 to 1.30 each of those days. Organizers say the Poetry Immersion Camp will be offering aspiring poets a safe, positive outlet for voicing their truths. Say My Piece is free. It's open to two youth age groups, those 11 to 13 and those 14 to 16. It's going to be held at the Central Arkansas Library System Main Library in Little Rock. Students will perform their spoken word pieces on March 25th. Awards will be given to first, second, and third place winners. More information can be found at myarpbs.org slash saymypiece. Applications are being accepted through March 8th. Hello, I'm Rhonda Dillard, the Underwriting Director at KUAF. Did you know that KUAF listeners could be your best customers? KUAF listeners find value in public radio, and research shows that 85% of public radio listeners are more likely to support a business or service they've heard about on public radio. So, if you enjoy listening to KUAF, well, why not invite your fellow listeners to become your customers? Email Rhonda at KUAF.com for more information. This is Ozarks at Large with me via Zoom, Courtney Lanning. Courtney, how are you? I'm good, Kyle. How are you doing? Uh, Doing pretty well. It's time to talk about another movie, and this week you review Sing a Bit of Harmony. Yes, and, you know... For anime fans who also happen to listen to Ozarks at Large, two for two since we have another anime film to review this week. Last week, you reviewed Belle, which you liked. How does this compare? I guess, did you like this as much as you liked Belle? I did. I actually liked this uh, even better than Belle. Um, and it's funny because they they both involve uh, futuristic technology 
and singing. And I, I like this movie better. All right. So technology, is there an emotional, I'm assuming since you liked it, there must be an emotional core to the film as well. Kyle, you know me so well. Yes. <laughs> um, the movie has a lot of heart uh, and it's got a, a, such a powerful emotional connection. At least I felt it did. Uh, it's cute. I liked it better than Belle. Um, you know, the, the story is a little easier to grasp and I know it's still anime. So there's going to be some, some wacky parts for people who aren't used to anime. Uh, but the story follows uh, a mysterious new transfer to a Japanese high school. A girl comes in and her behavior is a little out of whack. And the main characters discover that she's actually a robot hmm. powered by an artificial intelligence. And the lab that sent her there is running an experiment to see if she can learn fast enough to adapt and keep the other students from learning she's a robot. Obviously, the main characters discover and see through it pretty quick. Um, but, you know, the movie um, is all about the robot learning to be a little more human and help people with their problems and kind of one by one works her way through the friend group, uh, settling all of their disputes and differences and generally just making everybody happy. Um, it's, it's a really cute movie. You mentioned music. How, where does the music come in? So uh, the robot, her name is Shion. And she actually, she sings quite a few songs in the movie uh, because music, she finds, makes a lot of people happy. And the, mu the movie actually has some pretty catchy tunes. It's a good soundtrack. If you want to, when you finish the movie and you want to break from the Encanto soundtrack, you can fully <laughs> be prepared for some good tunes from this one if you, you pull it up on Spotify. Uh, good for all ages? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely good for all ages film. Um, you know, aimed at a, a young adult audience, but there's nothing, nothing scary or, you know, inappropriate that's going to pop out here. All right. Uh, where do we see it? You can see this movie in theaters on, and this is going to be specific, but this is the way anime movies typically release when they come West in theaters. You can see this movie on Sunday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. You're right. And that's it. <laughs> That's very specific. What, any idea why that is how anime films are screened in the United States? You know, I think they just bring them over for very limited windows. Uh, and they, when they release them early in the week, they don't have to compete with the oh. American films coming out. Gotcha. I imagine it reduces cost and, you know, gives, gives the anime fans just a, a few chances to see it. You know, Kyle, when I was growing up uh, in Russellville, Arkansas and anime films came out that we didn't get to see them. Right. Uh, I didn't get to watch an anime movie in theaters until I moved to Fayetteville, you know, and actually had some bigger theaters around me. Well, when I was a kid, anime wasn't a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. It was, they had, they had black and white Astro Boy back in the sixties. Oh, well, if that counts, then yes, that did exist. Speed Racer, I guess. Would Speed, Speed Racer, of is course. That, oh, who knew? I was watching anime when I was a kid. Okay, very good. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Uh, what else is coming out this week? So uh, it's pretty quiet, as you noted in the last time we talked. Uh, January here at the end is, is a pretty quiet month. Uh, there's a movie coming out this week called The King's Daughter, which is a fantasy film about King Louis in France who is searching for immortality and decides he's going to try to steal the life force from a mermaid he's captured. 
and everything seems to be going swimmingly, <laughs> pun intended, yeah. until his illegitimate daughter finds the mermaid and I assume tries to rescue it. It it looks looks to be a strange entry in the film film world. Is this live action? This is live action. Okay. Okay. And I I think King Louie might be played by Pierce Brosnan. I'll have to double check on that. Wow. That sounds weird enough for me to want to see it, actually. Especially if Pierce I, Brosnan I, is the king. I could be wrong, but I okay. I think Pierce Brosnan plays King Louie. Okay. Uh, what will we be talking about next week? Next week, I would like to review uh, for you the next entry in the Ice Age franchise which I believe this will be the sixth film in the franchise. It's called The Ice Age Adventures of Buck Wild, and it's coming out on Disney+. And that is one of the characters that's already been established in this franchise, right? I believe so, yes. Okay, all right. Courtney Lanning's full review can be found in Friday's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, look forward to talking to you next week. Kyle, looking forward to it myself. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season Saturday, January 22nd at Walton Arts Center, featuring the Arkansas premiere of Heather Schmidt's Piano Concerto No. 4, Phoenix Ascending, along with Marquez's iconic Danzon No. 2 and Sibelius's Second Symphony. Tickets available at 443-5600 or sonamusic.org. These are the last days to take in Crystal Bridges Museum of American Arts exhibition in American Water, the sea in American painting. The exhibit at the museum in Bentonville will close at the end of business on January 31st. Saturday, 21C Museum Hotel, also in Bentonville, will celebrate Wimbledon's first solo museum exhibition in the United States called Still Life with Discontent. It's a career-spanning exhibition. And Saturday afternoon at 3, Chief Curator Alice Gray Seitz will be in conversation with the artist from his home in Cape Town, South Africa. Masks will be required. Social distancing practices will be in place. And the John Bell Jr. Coming Home exhibit at the Fort Smith Regional Art Museum remains on view to the public through February 20th. The artwork of the beloved Fort Smith artist includes watercolors, pen and ink works, and many pieces not seen by the public until this exhibit. The collection is the first to be in the Sandy and Sandy Sanders Gallery. And this week, the Ram announced there is a commemorative John Bell Jr. pin depicting a legendary Fort Smith coach drawn by a horse. Sales of the pin will support the John Bell Jr. Legacy Project at the Ram, and it will entitle bearers to receive discounts on certain museum store merchandise. More about the pin, about the exhibit, about the artist, and about the museum can be found at fsram.org. Happy birthday, Mozart. This is Leo Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with sound perimeter. Our beloved composer Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's birthday was celebrated this January. Today, we honor his memory with some of his music. We open Sound Perimeter today with a rather unusual version of his Turkish March, originally the third movement of his Piano Sonata Number no. 11 in A Major K331, and one of his most known pieces. And the instruments? Desktop calculators. Yes, all movements are calculated. 
Of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's 41 symphonies, which are lengthy pieces written in several movements for symphony orchestras, number 40 in G minor, K550, is one of his most famous. The symphony is one of only two written in a minor key, this one in G minor, a key commonly associated, according to 18th century aesthetic principles, with lamentation and suffering. The symphony is a representation of the composer delving into the Sturm und Drang, storm and stress, movement following fellow German and Austrian composers who were producing works that were the audible expression of angst. The beginning of Symphony No. 40 in G minor, K550, showcases a rustling accompaniment in the violas, above which the violins play a breathless figure that unfolds in a melancholic melody. This piece has inspired multiple arrangements, and today we want to share with you one by American jazz pianist Vince Guaraldi and Brazilian guitarist Bola Sete, titled Choro. This is a variation on Mozart Symphony No. 40 in G minor, first movement. Thank you. 
was an excerpt from Choro, a variation on Mozart's Symphony No. 40 in G minor, K550, first movement, by American jazz pianist Vince Guaraldi and Brazilian guitarist Bola Sete. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart is deemed as a genius in our world of classical music and musicians. A composer that wrote over 600 pieces in every classical genre over a rather short lifespan. He died at the age of 35. Mozart's music speaks of life and its complexities with transparency and humanity. Today, after celebrating the composer's birthday, we close Sound Pentimeter with one of my favorite Mozart pieces, an excerpt from his clarinet quintet K581 in an interpretation by the Armida Quartet and Sabine Meyer in the clarinet. This is Leo Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Pentimeter. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, our friend and math educator, Heim Goodman-Strauss, is the recipient of the 2021 Rosenthal Prize for Innovation and Inspiration in Math Teaching, awarded by the National Museum of Mathematics. He came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio this week to give a demonstration of his award-winning lesson, or rather, have me demonstrate the activity. Ah, I see. So I'm going to cut here, and I'm going to follow. Uh-huh. All right. <gasps> okay. Keep going. Oh, all the way. All the way to the. Okay. And then unfold it. And. Oh, scissors, tape, and a fun math exercise that was honored nationally on tomorrow's show at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF 91.3. And you can always hear the most recent edition of our show by asking your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. Also tomorrow, the second installment of KUAF's Lunch Hour, our intimate concerts that are set inside the Carver Center for Public Radio Lobby. This one, very intimate, because we won't have an audience. Our precautionary nod to the latest surge of COVID-19. But the performance will be live-streamed. This month, our guest is Mia Jeldum. Here's just a sample of the music she creates.
the song Moonlight as performed by Mia Jelbum. She'll be in our lobby tomorrow for the second KUAF Lunch Hour. You can't be with us here for this one, but you can join us for the live stream midday tomorrow. Support for KUAF comes from the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal, now featuring entrepreneurs and SBA leaders, plus local business news from Northwest Arkansas. Subscriptions and information at 725-0394 or nwabusinessjournal.com. The Walmart Amp and Rogers welcomes back the multi-platinum top 40 artists Fitz and the Tantrums, co-headlining their summer tour with the ever-evolving St. Paul and the Broken Bones on Thursday, June 23rd. Tickets go on sale this Friday, January 21st at 10 a.m. Amptickets.com or 443-5600. For tickets and more information. Tonight on KUAF, we have some of the heavyweights of classical music composition in just the first hour of Peter Vandergraaff's latest night of music. He plans to share with us Mozart, Beethoven, Dvorak, and more. That's just between 8 and 9 tonight. Then he'll continue with more classical music until 5 tomorrow morning. You can hear classical music every Sunday through Thursday night from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m., on KUAF 91.3. And you can hear classical music at any time of day or night through KUAF 2, our HD channel devoted entirely to classical music. You can hear KUAF 2 any number of ways. One, by using the KUAF app. That's free. Two, by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF 2. Or three, by going to the free live streams that are available for free at KUAF.com. You can also use this thing called a radio, an HD radio, to hear the station in your car or at home. And there's also KUAF3, playing mostly jazz throughout the day and night, but also allowing all of us one extra chance to hear KUAF's locally produced music shows like Shades of Jazz, The Pick and Post, and The Generic Blues Show throughout the weekend. You can hear KUAF3 in all the same ways I just mentioned for KUAF2, and you can go to KUAF.com to see the complete schedules for each of our signals. That's guitarist Bill Frizzell in the background playing Far Away. And I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz. We'll hear more from Bill Frizzell and Charlie Hayden, Rick Margitza, Pete Zimmer, and much more on this edition of Shades of Jazz every Friday and Saturday right here on KUAF. Shades of Jazz with Robert Ginsburg, Friday night beginning at 10 on KUAF 91.3, then again Saturday morning beginning at 11 on KUAF 2. Arkansas Colleges of Health Education School of Physical Therapy and Community Connections partnering to offer free bowling for K-12 through graders in the Arkansas River Valley area. The group will meet Mondays at Bowling World in Fort Smith, Community Connections, a nonprofit dedicated to improving the lives of children with disabilities and their families by providing free extracurricular activities accessible to all. If you'd like to take part in the free bowling or you'd just like more information about the project, communityconnections.org. 
And the Fayetteville Public Library is currently hosting a 24-week Spanish-taught prep course for general education development, or GED certification. Free classes are taking place each Friday morning at 10, and they'll last through June 17th. Classes about two hours long, generally, led uh, by a representative from Crowder College. All materials are provided. Eligible participants can receive a tablet to complete their studies. For more, you can go online to the Fayetteville Public Library's website. That is F-A-Y-L-I-B.org. And this is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and all of Mount Magazine. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF and created inside the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville. Timothy Dennis produced today's show, as well as today's edition of Sound Perimeter. Contributors to Ozarks at Large today included Matthew Moore, Daniel Carruth, who collected sound and information about the testing clinics on the University of Arkansas campus this month and next, Courtney Lanning, and Leah Uribe. The Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report with Paul Gatling and Roby Brock, produced by Stephanie Brock, part of our ongoing partnership with Talk Business and Politics. You can learn more at talkbusiness.net. We also receive content help today from KUAR, Public Radio for Central Arkansas and all of Little Rock. Our theme, written and performed by Daryl Sean. Stay warm, stay healthy, and come back tomorrow for a Friday edition of Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums.